Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, Luau Lu of Dandelion Games joins me. Lu has a Mutant Crawl Classics adventure up on Kickstarter entitled The Time Lost Citadel. If you love high-octane radioactive games, this adventure is for you. We talk a fair amount regarding projects and creativity. Lou designs games and adventures and is also a co-host on a podcast that is worth listening to. Links are on the show notes. If you love the show, join the Patreon for as low as $1 a month. Time to grab the Geiger counter. We are heading into the rad zone. Sisters and brothers, it is time to get rambling. Hello, Lou. Hey, how's it going, Jeff? It's going great. We finally uh, get together to record. We've, we've discussed, I think one time we got together to made, record a podcast <laughs> and we, we just started talking business and it lasted for hours. So, um, yeah. but here we got a legit thing. You got a Kickstarter, an MCC slash DCC compatible adventure called the Time Lost Citadel. Citadel. <laughs> nice effect. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yeah, that wasn't. I didn't have to use special effects for that. That was all in 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 mic. <laughs> so you've got this this uh, post apocalyptic goodness, which is a follow up. Not only is it a follow up, but it is a prequel to the previous uh, adventure, right? Well, it's it's not a prequel. It's it's a sequel. But uh, well, it's a sequel. It's, yeah, and I tried to. Yeah, um, there is this other thing floating out there that. Uh, so, so you've got the the first adventure was the Seekers of the Unknown, which kickstarted last November, and um, and this one's meant to kind of be a sequel to it, but it can also stand on its own legs. But then there's a a little mini adventure coming out in Scientific Barbarian number five uh, that uh, Jim had me do for him. That's kind of like a little tie-in piece that kind of fills in the gap between the two, kind of explains you know how the the old tech equipment that's found in Seekers is revitalized to be able to use to, to jump onto the red planet here in the new one, which uh, is, it's kind of a sword and planet adventure. So it's, it's a, I don't know. It's a lot of things, I guess, you know, it's post-apocalyptic it's sword and planet. It's, you know, it's a whole, whole bunch of stuff in the kitchen sink that it's all fun to play with. Kind of. Well, I think it's also, you know, you know, whatever you have is also through the lens of mutant crawl classic. So that creates its own mm-hmm. distortion filter. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so just briefly, why don't you just kind of just give a, a summary of the first adventure, just what, sure. what that's about. Yeah, so these these adventures are part of a line that I'm doing called the Cla- uh, Classics Mutated. And what I'm trying to do is go back and find some of the best adventures I've ever played back in the early days of role playing. Look at what were the memorable points in them and what was so good about them. And then irradiate them and take them into the mutant crawl classics world and, and change them up such that you know someone that's played both you know isn't you know it's not like they're they're replaying something they've already played right but yet they come across things and they're like oh that's like what you know that's the parallel to this part of that other story uh so the first one seekers of the unknown is uh, i cannot confirm nor deny that it's similar to a uh, an old tsr module a uh, similar name um, in this version, the Seekers, which is what MCC calls the, the character party, they come across this old bunker, this uh, you know ancient war bunker from back before the cataclysm that destroyed uh, Terra, which is what they call Earth. And um, 
it turns out that these soldiers at this bunker were fighting this alien incursion. And so they go through the bunker and it's, it's really just a sandbox. There's lots of crazy stuff going on there. Lots of things that have gone haywire. In particularly, there's a, a, a robot that was kind of a medical assistant. And it's, um, the, the bunker was led by these, these two kind of famous heroes of their epoch. And one of them, uh, this kind of techno shogun character, Rogo Khan, he was uh, killed in battle. And this robot's been given the task of kind of like trying to clone him. Only uh, the, the DNA it recovered is faulty. So it's going off into Terra and sampling things and bringing them back. And that's part of why the heroes even get to the bunkers. Uh, people from their tribe have been being abducted. And uh, so you got that thing wandering around the, the bunker, kind of almost like a Jack the Ripper scenario where it'll teleport into an area and try to abduct characters and teleport back out. And so you got kind of that. But overall, it's just a sandbox, a lot of crazy stuff. And one of the, the most memorable rooms that the uh, characters will come across is this underground hangar with all these like broken down hover tanks and, and, and war machines and stuff. And it has this this big screen on the wall that they're looking out into and all they see is this, you know, red uh, panorama of, of rock and dust. And then in the very far distance, uh, they see a step pyramid. And uh, what it is, that screen is actually the space gate that the uh, soldiers could move through. And they had created it so they could basically take the battle home to the aliens, you know, and, and go to their home world and finish them once for all. Um, and the mission was a total failure. And you can even see, you know, in the modules described, you can see little, you know, bits of bones sticking out from the sand and, you know, broken down machines and whatnot. So that's kind of how the first one uh, is and in, in, in its connection to this next one, where the characters actually go through the space gate and explore the uh, Martian homeworld here, the, the red planet. Um, now, part of why they do that is, uh, explained away in that mini adventure, but largely uh, the idea is as they're looking through the thing, uh, they can see that there is a lot of tech, you know, just buried there. And it's like, well, you know, the big thing in MCC is going out recovering ancient artifacts. So you got all these weapons and stuff just kind of laying on the ground there. Uh, but then also they start to get this vision of a, a person wandering, you know, from that step pyramid to the camera. And so there's this whole tie-in of uh, if they go and actually watch over a space of a long period of time, they actually see, you know, a little dot appear on the horizon and it gets closer and closer. And there's this ragged man in, in blowing clothes. And eventually uh, when it, when the character gets close to the camera, they're able to use a holographic device to show them what to adjust on it to make it work again. And then uh, it turns out, uh, and I don't want to go too far into the no, it's fine. <laughs> the description take up all the time here, but but it turns out uh, they tell you that oh, you know, all those soldiers that were at this bunker, they're still alive. There's this, you know, time time loss. This is you know, wretched, uh, dilated space of time there at the step pyramid, and those soldiers have been captured by the aliens, and we need your help to go rescue them. Um, and so that's kind of the thing. Um, one of the big spins on it, and, I, and I'll quit yammering here in just a moment, but one of the big spins on it, you know, I, I was thinking, okay, you know, we're going to go to this alien planet. There'll be all this alien technology. And then once I sat down to start writing that, I'm like, well, wait a minute, you know, in MCC, everything the characters run across is alien technology. Right. because They're like Stone Age characters. So, uh, so I'm like, I got to, you know, I got to take this another direction. And that's where it really hit into the sword and planet stuff. I'm like, 
what if the aliens are, you know, mentalists with some, you know, magical powers and whatnot. So, uh, so we went in that direction and it fit real well with the uh, module that this one's based off of um, another lost city sort of module um, where these aliens have encountered this sort of eldritch being who's gifted them this magic on the condition that they provide him with sacrifices. Uh, and so that's what some of this stuff's about. Uh, and it's all kind of explained away as the characters explore that area and then other areas of the planet where there's some refugee alien groups and stuff that are part of the, the magic cult. Um, so that's, in a nutshell, that's what it is. Well, that sounds cool. So it sounds like you've, uh, you know, this is actually quite an expansive area, at least in whoever's buying into this can or they choose to do a one shot from the previous one or continue on you, or even whichever direction you go, it, it, it allows people to either dovetail in or just take the whole path as it is. Sure. Yeah. And that's, and that's one of the things about it. Um, and I'm, I guess we'll probably get into this later, but, but as I'm writing it, you've got, okay, I want to have just this real simple, straightforward dungeon crawl, go into the temple, go through all the Indiana Jones passages and all that. And, take out this elders being and save the people yeah raw but then it's on this other planet so then you got to have well it's got its own atmosphere and its own you know uh, uh things you got to think about as, as you know the characters are trying to survive as they go through it and that's that's a big part of sword and planet also is a, the alien environment changing how a person um you know changing their physiology or whatever you know you see that with like john carter being really strong when he's on mars and all that so we got some of that going on and some of the dangers, the low oxygen atmosphere that have to be uh, attended to by the players. Um, but then you also have to expand outward with oh, yeah, alien uh, monsters, you know, and other, you know, cultures on this planet. And, you know, uh, it's so it got to be this, you know, what I was you know thinking would be this little, you know, sit down meal ends up being, you know, a seven course uh, yeah. feast that the, uh, so yeah, there's all that stuff that game masters can let the players just wander all about and do all these other little yeah, they side call it quests. Scope creep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, I, I definitely had scope creep on this one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a danger of any project, especially when you yeah. don't have a, a limit. I mean, you don't have a theoretical limit. I mean, yeah. you know, you you say you know how many pages it is, how many pages it's going to be. It's just like you know, then it's very easy to just do you know, to uh, allow scope creep to happen. <laughs> yeah. It, and, well? <laughs> and that's a huge danger, right. Of, of being a, an amateur writer like me versus a professional. Cause you know, professional knows that, look, you hit over this many pages, your format changes and what you can do. And, 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 you know, like, for example, my first adventure seekers was a uh, saddle stitch. And that's a really nice format for a lot of people because it lays flat. It's, you know, it's easy to consume. It's, you know, um, it, it stays together well and, you know, endures the test of time. But uh, once you hit over with my printer, they're, they're saying about 50 pages, you can't really saddle stitch. It just, it, it, the, the way saddle stitch is made and, and well, you know. Well, uh, the Madlands was 64. I think that's about as, maybe 64, is that right? Yeah, 64. I, I can go pull it. It's one of my faves. Yeah. I, gotta remember <laughs> yeah, I think it's 64. Okay. And so Yeah, and different printers say different things on that, I think. Well, but but the problem is it doesn't it doesn't close flat nicely. And I think you could press them. And it's also thick paper. I mean, I just went with the thickest paper I could get. So 
But I'm just saying is I think you could do 64 without a problem. It's just that but, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the other thing, and again, you know, this is inside baseball kind of thing is with saddle stitch uh, because it's uh, what do you call that uh, inside itself. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's early in the morning here, folks. <laughs> because every page is inside the next page, uh, your inner pages have to be cut off uh, yeah. shorter than your outer pages, and so once you get a lot of pages. That makes a huge difference. Your 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 lettering's right up against the margin on the inside pages, and you know, a half inch away on the outside pages if you get too many of them. So, so yeah, well, you don't think about that stuff when you're writing. You yeah, know, if you don't you just gotta, do this, got for larger margins. Is what you got to do. Um, no. And if you can find somebody that's already done some, so I, I ran into a similar situation. I I contacted, uh, I contacted, um, um. Man, it is, you know, the mornings I have problems with that. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, Trevor Stamper, because um, he's got some thicker zines, and I called him and asked him to do some measurements for me. <laughs> so it's like, okay, if you, if you allow for an eighth of an inch of cutoff or in addition to your half inch margin, you're fine. So if you do three quarters margin, you're fine. But you're right, your margin's going to, as you get towards the middle, it's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller and if you and you got to account for that because if you put stuff in that margin like page numbers or or uh, section names border art or, yeah. or border art yeah you're just going to start cutting into that and uh that could be no okay as a friend would say <laughs> <laughs> but i think so you yes. can deal with 64 without a problem um and there are limits but the limits i think tend to be more who can staple it Mm-hmm. Well, even on the, yeah, so this is the, the seekers. I don't, I don't know how many people are listening, how many people are watching, but you can see, uh, you see it almost starts to get like square on the edge. Yeah. And you get more and more pages. This one was, I think, 50 something, 56 maybe, or 58, but uh, I don't know. Anyhow, yeah, so it's, there's just things you don't think of when you don't do this for a living. And, um, you know, you want to just let yourself write. It's like, oh, the more the merrier people love this content, you know, but uh, but then it changes your format and how you can present it. And that can, you know, a lot of yeah. people do not like the, you know, the, the uh, perfect bound books uh, because it, it, you can't leave them open on the table and have things right there in front of you. They always want to fold back up and the, and the binding always breaks eventually, it seems like so. Well, that happened to me with Fane. I, I, the whole intent was for that to be a zine. And I just, and I still could probably technically with a hundred and some odd pages still find somebody to staple it. But the question is, do I really want that? And I yeah. think the answer is no. I don't want what, uh, what do you got going on uh, for Fane as far as like, do you have a lot of maps and things like that? Like the peripheral type stuff? No, I, I only have, it, it's the weirdest thing. It's really not an adventure. It's, uh, there's just some art. So, so the way it's, way it works out is, so this started out as me doing, wanting to do a a Hyperborean style game. And the idea was to go to, uh, it sent around a, not Afghanistan. (laughs) Okay. And so there were plans, a group, it didn't really work out. I, I got sometimes you get a group of people and everybody throws some stuff in and it goes forward and other times people say, Yeah, I want to do it. Nothing really ever happened. So that's what got me started writing. And so it's like, well, in order to 
create this area, you know, part of the sword and sorcery is the idea is you have like some sort of creepy deity, creepy cold, mm, get the Cthulhu kind of wizard. So that I thought, well, why not do something tied with flies? And so then it's like, well, I'll do a city, a region, and then I'll do this this uh, 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 fame. Uh, I think I came up with fame of fly god. So okay, that was good. But then I thought, well, what if I just do spells and I can just reskin them around fly themes, like just lean heavily, just reskin them. They're they're this they're still the same spells, but just re rewrite the narrative around them. And, and these are like a BX style spell. What I did was um, I took, um, I went to the different SRDs. I went to 3.5. I went to, I did 3.5. I did 5.0. And I think I looked at, might have been BX. It's, it's in a BX kind of format. But so, you know, it's, it's like sleep. All have handled sleep a little differently. All mm. have handled... Um, I don't know the various spells. There's there's yeah, variations. The so magic have, missile that does one d four per level, or you know, so many more missiles, or yeah, uh -huh. yeah, just so, a little different enough that it just annoys you, right? You're like, I know the spell, but exactly. not in the system. <laughs> exactly. So, but what I did was I didn't do all of them. I just did the ones I thought would be gross and kind of fit <laughs> within the theme, without so much thinking about the spells being just strictly combat spells. It really was never and what really what it was intended it was never intended for player characters to get a hold of this and say yeah i want to do this really what it was is players to characters to see what's happening and for players to go oh my goodness that's gross or that's weird <laughs> or no thanks <laughs> you know what i mean because you know yep. so you know and what i did is i some of these i went back to really what does the spell about like Let's say purify uh, food and water. Well, the idea is you're cleansing whatever's bad. So what if you flipped it around? Putrefy what, kind of what if you change the person and the person's able to eat vile stuff? Like Ooh, a fly. That way. Okay. Yeah, I didn't uh, think about that. Ah. And so, and then I, what I was planning on doing is saying it also, but if you're going to do that, um, so just turn them into they they transmogrify into somewhat the, the heads the heads and the mouths change the brains like, get rewired like buskis kind of thing of a yeah they are vomiting whatever and they are <laughs> out of their minds completely out of their minds while the feeding goes on but what I did is I rewrote it so that the effect lasts longer and the thought was I never did any sort of ritual magic it's like well if they were to do ritual magic the clerics would do this and this would allow them to be further empowered to do whatever it is they do. So the idea would be not that players would know, but maybe it'd be in a situation where they need to eat. There's nothing but offal or <laughs> rotting carcasses or feces and they're going to die, you know, or they're going to lose stats or they're going to lose whatever. Here's your choice. Cleric says, Hey, what about that? whatever it may be, or they come in on a scene where this is going on. And also then I took it and I wrote some of this into the narrative of the NPCs and situations for the setting. So the setting is a city and the, not Afghanistan. And then I uh, 
okay, so I did the spells, and as I did the spells, because you talked about when we chat well, on on uh, Facebook Messenger, you stated how you kind of go in. How'd you? I guess I'll let you describe it. So when you're writing, before you start writing, you, you mentioned a state of mind. What was what was how did yeah. you mention that? I, I mean, I think I talked about it. It's like a fever dream, right? It's like um, when I when I'm like, okay, I'm I'm gonna write something. Uh, and I, I normally have some idea of what it's going to be generally about, but then it's just like trying to imagine like the coolest images I can of, of that nature, you know, like, so in this case, um, I had this imagination of, uh, you know, wouldn't it be neat to, to see something on that, you know, view screen and to wonder what it was and to, and to wait, have it slowly get closer and closer, you know, um, there's this, uh, alien creature on the planet that's kind of this centaur-like thing that's giant that's just this pastiche of uh, Harry Housen films that I've watched and it's like oh, I gotta get something like that in there and uh you know just different so things do you do that do yeah. you do that at the keyboard or do you is this pre-work that you're just doing like this you're is, doing work on the farm and you're just saying hey while I'm doing this. yeah that's that's a lot of it is I'm, I'm doing something else you know uh taking hay out to the cows and uh and suddenly it'll be like an image, you know, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I should do something with that. And then I'll go back in afterwards and maybe write it in a little notebook. Uh, so I get, I start with this, you know, spiral bound notebook with just ideas written down in it. And then it becomes a typed outline where I've kind of clarified them and tried to unify them with some sort of theme or some sort of purpose of, you know, why is that creature there? Or how does that connect with these other things going on on the planet um, in this case? So, yeah, and it's just, it's almost like a, a guy that doesn't know how to draw, sort of like myself, <laughs> sketching over and over again until you finally get those lines to form something that somebody else could identify, you know? No, that makes sense. Uh, and what I did is probably not quite, because I don't know how I did the pre-work, but I kind of have certain ideas. So I'll write the spells and I'll just think, I want to just do something gross. And I try not to think about it and I just write. And then as I write, I may throw in some deities and I might throw in some locations. But I've not written up the deities. And then once I've written up these name places, then I go through and write up the deities and write up the locations. But sometimes writing up the deities or the locations may also cause me to write up other locations. Or, yeah. And so then in the end, that's where you wind up with like over 100 pages. <laughs> yes, that's that's where I'm living right there. That is, yeah, you're right. You, you you play around in this circle, and then it you know starts to touch this other circle. You got to play in there some more. And so, I mean, you you're saying it's not an adventure. So, I mean, I mean, it, from the sounds of it, it's at least like a setting. It is, but it isn't. I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> it really, what it is, it's inspiration. So. There's also, when I say locations, there's also extra dimensional locations. And so those are possibilities for character. So pe people take characters to or not. Mm -hmm. And some of the spells are related to those locations. And so they, the effect may be related to a location. So, and it turned, it, what turned into a sword and sorcery setting just turned into a trans-dimensional look at a, I guess what I'm doing, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> Basically, the intent is you read it, if you like it, you just find stuff, you're like, I can use this, I can use that, I can use this, I can use that, without really the intent to say, I'm going to take this and run so, because you really can't take it and run anything. 
but you can take this and put it in your setting, or you can take the spells and put it in your setting, or you put the deities in your setting, or you take ideas from a location into your setting. It's, I mean, it's, would you say that the, because I mean, what you're describing really to me sounds, you know, it sounds like a setting. I mean, or, or at least, you know, a, a yeah, it's a, setting. a unified I mean, cosmology, it, but yeah, without the yeah. intent necessarily of, I hand it to you and you could say, yeah, I can run something. You will not be able, there's not really an adventure to run. But there, I mean, it's is the only a, thing, go ahead. it's the only thing missing, like just, you know, some, plot moving things forward or some you know event that the characters have to deal with i mean is that good? yeah exactly and what, what's what's happened is you know i realized after i wrote this this was, this was basically there's an undertone of uh temple of the blood moth so there's an apocalyptic event that will occur thousands of years in the future but you don't have to stop it in fact there are there there are beings who are working to that end who could be working with characters and maybe short-term goals they're aligned but you don't have to i mean it's it really is um it's just it is definitely a um <laughs> i don't know how to explain it. it it's it's uh it's just a lot of real evocative stuff thrown together but there is a there's it is unified is completely unified, but without real, but it's not forgotten realms. <laughs> oh man, it's uh, 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 let's this. So when I was when I was first getting into role playing, like I love the forgotten realms, everything forgotten realms. You know, I got all those. You know, what are they? The FREs or whatever the ones that had all the maps that connected together and everything. And everything forgotten realms. And then as I got older, it's like, man, this is, I'm carrying a boulder with me, man. This, all this yeah. <laughs> information is just crushing me. I can't, you know, but uh, so I like that. It's not the forgotten room. So there but, is, I mean, like, like for us, there's a, there's a location that is a small planet. It's uh, Iris uh, and ancient civilization pretty much died. What was left kind of became degenerate. Um, a deity came and intervened and just, Crazy problems but in this planet it's frozen but there's volcanic portions where it's not frozen and people can live if person wanted to expand on that you could do a sword and um yeah, right there, yeah. where you have instead of desert you have patches of of frozen waste and then there's pockets of of maybe uh jungle like it. i mean you could do that it reminds me a lot of did, did right. you ever have like the old uh, the gazetteers and their box sets and stuff from the original Dungeons and Dragons line? The only one, the one I've had is been Greyhawk. Oh, okay, they had one called Hollow World, which was like they basically Mystera? took and made Mystera? it's it yeah it's it's the inside of Mystera, yeah. And uh, what you're describing reminds me a lot of that box set, like how it was laid out. Like it's like here's kind of like this whole world that you can connect to the stuff you're already doing. But it's got pathions, it's got, you know, different locations, different spells, different, you know, way of thinking about things cosmologically. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting stuff, man. Yeah, I mean, really, it'd be, my hope is with the whole thing is just, it's, it's the idea is you, it's kind of like the, D, I don't want to say it's like the DMG, because that's presumptuous, and it's also not quite true. But you know how you, you can go through the DMG, and just, you can just read stuff, and there's <laughs> inspiration to be gained. 
there is a unification to it, but it's not necessarily, you look at it, you're mm -hmm. like, I don't know who edited this thing. But It's like a garage sale. Yeah, you're just uh, table after table. You don't know what you're going to find, but you're happy to be there. Yeah. yeah, so there, you know, so then there's spells, there's deities, and there's locations. And those locations uh, are different. The, so the, the first location, the beginning, is actually here, is on a normal planet. The locations elsewhere uh, are not. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of, like you're saying, I mean, it gives gives somebody a lot of different directions they can go with things, and, and you know, pick and choose uh, what they want. Yeah. Yeah, and there may just be there may be there may be instances where you say, you know what, I don't want that whole plant to be that way, but you know, a region like this would be kind of cool. Go for it. <laughs> it's not, and it's but there's no there is a dungeon. Um, and there is a there's a dungeon to the fane, um, but it may not be really what characters ever go to do because you know the reward there is not really anything happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got what you want. <laughs> Too bad, we're all new characters. <laughs> Are you sure you really want to do this? <laughs> so. Yeah. But it's just but the thing is, it's it's all it's all intended to be. I don't know. It is it is nothing but the hubris of me just sitting down and saying I'm going to write a thing, and where it's going to be is what it's going to be. Probably after this, I won't say I'll never ever do anything like this, but probably everything after this is going to be more defined. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the pledge I made myself after this one is that. You know, in the future, I'm going to set, you know, I, I'm going to know what I want it to be, you know, format wise. And I'm going to set my boundaries. And I'm going to work within the boundaries. But Yeah, uh, and that's what's been the problem is the boundaries start becoming, you start, okay, so like we have, uh, I have six kids. So when we had, when you go to uh, the fourth child, things change because you can no longer, you, you have to have a van. <laughs> yeah and we have four kids so i know that one yeah <laughs> so then but the problem is is once you have uh but there's also a certain point where most vans have five seats in the back three then two and then the two passenger uh, uh front so then once you have the sixth child normal minivans don't work so then we had to uh but we we're able to buy a middle uh, a back bench put in the middle bench so then it was three but i'm just saying is bedrooms change right your what you need for bedrooms start changing yep. okay, and then because like if you if you're all boys you're like who cares you're having boys and girls and it's it starts my point is you know if you're just saying you know what uh we're just uh, uh two kids it's it's one thing three kids is another four kids is another five is another six it's another <clears throat> and that's the same thing with your projects because you're right w whatever you do has an effect afterwards that you don't necessarily realize okay it's like yeah so oh, go ahead well i was just going to say like in, in my situation i mean um because i've got like i've got the the uh wilderness map of the planet surface i've got the city map of the, the lost citadel and then i've got the interior dungeon maps of the, the pyramid and also some cave maps you can't like if you put that in a perfect bound book, uh, the, you know it's you, you can't you know it's all mushed in there. Whereas if it's saddle stitched, people have the option of, if you can print it on the covers, they can take those off, which is what I did with the first one. 
uh, or you can put it on an interior page, you know, in the center where it's easy to take out of there. But uh, it's yeah, it's just it constricts you, and, and then you end up having to decide. Like like right now, I'm I'm hoping that the Kickstarter hits. It uh, I'm trying to get to three thousand five hundred, which will allow me to print it up as actual separate books, where there's a an adventure book that has all the maps and stuff and all that kind of contained in it. And then like a little guidebook that has more of the surface stuff and the monster write-ups and all that. But if I don't hit that, I've. 3,500, you're going to hit that. You're at 20, you're at 2,954 at this point. Oh, wow. I've had some, some people hit recently. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) But yeah, I I think I'll hit it. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. I know it's early on in the campaign. You know, you'll hit it, but it's that, that pit in your stomach. It's just like, (laughs) what what if that's everybody? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So okay. So let's just just stop. Let's just let's just take this down. We're you're you're unpacking a lot. So so currently, currently where it stands, what's the format of the book? Yeah. So out of the gate, uh, it's going to have to be perfect bound. Um, but I, I worked out a thing with my printer to get a, a fold out map. So it'll be a, okay. a book with a map in it. And that okay. map will have, you know, the, the majority of the stuff you might want to throw out on the table or have, you know, readily available. Right. You know, so it's a, it's a perfect bound book. How many pages? Uh, it's going to be a hundred plus. I'm still waiting on some art to, to kind of figure out final layout, but a uh, hundred plus pages with art. Okay. So it's a hundred plus pages with art. <clears throat> perfect bound with a map. So, um, and you're using, I'm assuming, uh, are you using print on demand? Um, no, it's actually a offset print, but it's, uh, I've got a local printer that's doing it. So I'm getting about 300 copies uh, any which way I go, because I, you know, whatever I have left, I'll sell on, on the con circuits and whatnot. So, so they're doing um, offset, they're not doing digital? Uh, I believe so. Uh, the the okay. machinery they showed me was an offset print, but I, I mean, it wasn't a very big one though. I, you know, to be honest, uh, I'm not really as attuned on the technical side of things there, but, uh, but it didn't, you know, usually the digital prints, you know, one of these massive copier machine things, and it wasn't one of those. It was, uh, more of like an assembly line kind of unit where things fed through it. So I don't okay, know. Okay. <laughs> 300. That's, uh, so you have, so you've got 105 backers, and when you said you hit 3,500, you're going to go from a 100-page perfect bound with an insert uh, that you're going to put in there. What is it going to go to at 3,500? At 3,500, it allows me to do a saddle stitch book with a cover that's uh, got a double-sided. Um, and that allowed me to put like the game master maps on the inside of that cover with the numbers and secret passages and all that junk on there. And uh, that, that book's going to be about 50 pages. Um, and then I'll have like a little um, journal sized, uh, thinner paper, kind of more, uh, I'm trying to get something, almost like a magazine kind of feel to it. Um, pocket guide to the red planet, which will have you know, a lot of the survival information in it, all the creatures on the planet, all the random encounter stuff. And then also a fold out map that's now going to be double sided with all the stuff uh, made to be player facing on it. Okay, so that is a huge jump in, in content. 
Um, it, yes and no. Like, like honestly, the uh, the only thing content wise that I'm going to change is I don't have to edit out as much of the planet stuff that I would have to if I just go with the hundred page one. Um, and then also, uh, I, I have to do the maps so that they're not just GM maps, but they're also player maps. But I probably do that anyhow because I, I normally release map images to the backers to be able to do VTT, and so I try to erase all the stuff you don't want the players to see on it. Right, but you. But the thing is, what you've done is you, these are going to be physical copies. So I need to go look at the pledge. So there's only what are the pledge levels? I'm going to go back to manage my pledge. I think is that it? No, that's not it. What is so your pledge levels? Yeah. Were, oh, there, oh, there it is. It is twenty dollars. So I did the twenty dollar one. There's a thirteen dollar one for a PDF, and an eighty dollar one for a uh, multiple copies. Yeah, and then the, the hundred dollars or more for um, you get you, you get, get some character in there. Yeah, you get to just get your character to appear in one of the art pieces. Which is a way, uh, that was a clever way. Hopefully it's a clever way if it works out. I've got an artist that I really want to use on this. I've, I've gotten a few things from him and he did me a real good favor and, and, and sold me some art at a level I could afford, which was a, a pretty good discount off of what he normally charges. But I'd like to pick up a couple more pieces from him, uh, but to get at the level that I need it to be for him, um, I right. got to sell these. <laughs> I got to make it like, okay, you pay me a hundred. I'm going to put your character in this art and that way I get the art I want from this guy at the price that he needs. <laughs> you know, it's, everybody's happy, right? <laughs> exactly. It's right. Uh, so that works in a sense, but really you are adding for the, for the, um, so for the $20 or see $20 plus $8 shipping and handling, you're adding more printed content. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's just a volume thing. If if uh, if I can ensure that I've got that much money from this project, number wise, it works out to where I'm I'm not going to lose money going into the other format. So, yeah, you're definitely throwing some really good stuff out there at a, at a low level, um, which is I mean, it's, and it's fine. This kind of stuff I've I've thrown in. I know that when I went was looking doing Fane. My first thing was I'm going to go full color, da 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 da, <laughs> and I saw the cost. And I'm like, wow, this is not cool. <laughs> Prices went up. Yes, so it's like yes, okay, I'm going to go black and white, and it's like okay, now I'm to the point where I'm going to, you know, because of the size of it, color is impractical, uh, unless I hit over ten thousand dollars. I mean, it's just, it just is not practical. So I'm going to, my plan is to just kind of say at this point, I think I'm just going to go with the lowest quality, work my way up on paper, work my way up to, um, and so forth. But, you know, that's definitely, you know, as you go, that does affect, because what you've, because, you know, one thing I could do is instead of doing a hundred page perfect bound, I could do like I did with scoundrels, I could do multiple zines. Mm -hmm. Well, that might even make sense with your content since you have kind of a yeah, very content of it's a it's a headache because um, <laughs> you make one change to one. Well, the problem I had is I had three of them. Then I would make I would I would change my my mind on um, I would change my mind on some sort of layout detail. Like you know what I think I'm going to change this, and then have to do it all in three different documents over and over again. That was awful, but. 
it also increases your cost. So when you do your proof copies, it's expensive uh, having proof copies. Yeah. And if you do three of them, you know, that's, that's significant. So I think I'm just going to do the perfect bound. Um, and that's just the way it's going to be, but it's just, I'm just, I'm married, but what you're doing, I'm saying my point is, you know, here it's, there's definitely added costs when you start doing additional, um, additional uh, books, physical books. Yeah. But yeah, and, and I'm, I'm in a sweet situation with this printer. I found the national group, which is a local printer for me. Um, if I didn't have that, I don't know that I could do it like this. But like I can literally go over there on my lunch break, you know, and uh, go see what they got going on with my product. And uh, I don't have to pay shipping. I don't have to wait around for, you know, proof copies. It'll print one today. If it's not right, tomorrow they print another. Uh, and uh, they've just been really, really good to me. So, uh, you know, that's something I, you know, I've printed all my Dare Luck Club stuff that, that I did before these modules. I printed all those, uh, you know, uh, via the Internet from different printers throughout the nation. And uh, um, that was a whole different headache. Uh, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad I, I decided. I was like, no, I wonder if anybody local prints anything. And I wonder what they can do for me. Um, I'm so glad I went down that avenue. That, that was a big game changer for me. Yeah, it's, um, and, you know, finding a printer is kind of confusing. When I first did my area, everything came up like photocopy shops. And it's, it wasn't very simple. But then one day I drove by a printer, which I had driven by many, many, many times. It's all of a sudden the thought hit me like, wait a minute. <laughs> that's not a copy shop i can <laughs> i can get quotes from them uh, and it's uh it, it is so so no that's very commendable so we're right so that's the thing is you know as you go you can hit like it is it becomes a different thing so there's a certain point where saddle stitch doesn't work or doesn't work there's a point where there's a sweet spot for saddle stitch there's a point where you can do saddle stitch but it's not the best there's a point where you can no longer do saddle stitch. And then you may say, you know what? Uh, like for instance, I'm doing a, another project, much smaller in scope, uh, was gonna do color. I kind of went back and looked at that. It does double the cost to do color, but it's a small enough item that doing it in color, even if you double the cost, it's like, the it's not that big a deal. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, so that's the thing that, that, yeah. Going back to the things you don't know when you don't do this for a living is, is price point, you know, like, um, you know, I think I'm still in a decent price point for this current Kickstarter. But, you know, you start asking people $30 for an adventure, you know, even if it's a good amount of content, you know, 100 pages, uh, that's fairly good content for 30 bucks. But, uh, but some people are like, not for an adventure. No, not unless it's hardbound, you know, Wizards of the Coast, full color, you know. I don't know. Price points are interesting too. I know. And I think I probably underpriced. I'm fine with it. It's, it's fine. Uh, but during the Madlands, probably a little bit underpriced. I, I can tell you for sure you did. <laughs> you know, I, I would have gone a lot higher for it. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on your program. I mean, yeah. I, that was really, when I got that in the mail, I was like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know what this is going to be like, but I've heard people say good things. Uh -huh. and I got it. I was like, man, just blown away. I was like, that was a really good deal. <laughs> yeah. So then it's like, you know, cause I, I'm like, I think with me, it's like, you can go and you can buy modules for really from major companies for like $25, you know, $30. And then maybe, you know, like discount on Amazon, but you can pick up a, you can pick up a Wizards of the Coast D&D module hardback for like $31. Mm -hmm. And then you start saying, you know, I want $30 for this, this paperback or, you know, it's like, doesn't have near the pages, doesn't have near the art, doesn't have, it's like, 
who's going to pay that when it's and that's where it becomes it's easy as a as a person to start doubting oneself yeah devaluing your work and yeah so i would yep. say to me uh but i'm no expert because <laughs> right now uh this is how many projects have you done uh this will be my uh fifth well yeah. i've had two companies <laughs> if you count the other company this will be my eighth publication <laughs> if you oh. just count this company this will be my fifth yeah so you you're already four times more experienced than i am but i still think with what you're saying when you say i'm going to add a booklet and I'm going to add another little booklety thing. It's like, or what pamphlet, whatever it's going to be. It's like twenty dollars, pretty cheap. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and, unless the other thing is, that, you know, when you do a Kickstarter, you you got to also like, you got to make it worth the while for people to buy it right then. So, I mean, you got to think about like, okay, what's your retail cost, and what what discount can you give these people buying it? You know, uh, as they fund you here in Kickstarter. And so, my retail cost on it's going to be. I'm looking at about 25 bucks. So, you know, you got to give them something. So I'm like, oh, $5 off and they'll be paying shipping anyhow. So and that's the other thing. I had to up my shipping costs. I'm up at eight bucks now. I, you know, I, for me, I'm like, ah, people even want it for eight bucks shipping. I don't know. I don't think people, so the shipping, so you put the shipping in with the, um, you're not using backer kit. Not yet. I think this might be the one, depending on how it goes, that that, that breaks me of doing it myself. <laughs> yeah, because I think the backer kit. What I've thought about too is, uh, hope the hope there's no one from the government listening. That, <laughs> I, <didn't> th <laughs> I was just thinking that Kickstarter somehow, I don't know why, it was collecting taxes, but they're not. No, no, yeah, they report that. Yep. <laughs> no, no, I mean, as far as uh, I'm sorry, not not uh, federal taxes or state uh, income tax. But uh, sales tax. Yeah. So I just, uh, I may or may not have reported sales tax this year. But <laughs> next year, um, with Backer Kit, you, you can make that an item. And, um, and, then, and then they send you reports, so then you know, they collect it, and then you already have a record of how many, you know, the, the whole thing. So that being said, um, and also it's, I looked at the price of backer kit. I don't think it's, it's, I think at our level or so it may only be like $40 uh, for, for what they offer. But what they do offer too, is you can buy, um, you can get people to buy additional stuff at the end. Mm -hmm. So if it's like, this was, there's another opportunity to buy, you know, whatever past products you have, whatever you want to throw in there, which is nice. So I think I may, may go with that. It's just still kind of nerve wracking. Like, now, do they charge you say $40? Is that like a, a setup fee? Is that like for the whole thing? Or is that a monthly fee? You pay based on how big your uh, Kickstarter is. Uh -huh. Okay. By percent. Kind of. And you, you, if you could go right now, it's not always, it wasn't logical to get where it actually had me put in the amounts but you go put in your amount for your kickstarter and it would tell you how much it would charge you for it but they don't charge you until after the kickstarter is done so if you let's say you you do a kickstarter and you you um maybe do a uh, let's say you know like say maybe you do a thousand dollars maybe it's fifty dollars maybe if you do uh two thousand dollars maybe it's 
uh, $75 if you do sliding scale kind of. Yeah. So the more you do, basically the less, less of a percentage of your overall uh, campaign. So, so initially maybe it's, you know, if you, the low end, maybe it's 5%, but maybe on the higher end, it's only 1%. Hmm. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Uh, You know, uh, every percent matters uh, when you're self-publishing, but yet, you know, if you, you know, but last time I had, I think at the end I had about 200 people I had to ship stuff out to um, a little over that, I think, but anyhow, it, it was a day of work, you know, and, uh, and then I, you know, frustrated a lot of people going in to get, you know, the, the labels oh, for they packages they won't for stamps. They, and- they won't fulfill it for you. All they're doing is they, so, so when you do, so right now with Kickstarter, you have, um, so you put in your, um, your shipping uh, and handling charges. So the Kickstarter is going to take 10% of that amount, right? I think it's five. Uh, I think. Well, five. when you do the Amazon charges and the Kickstarter, it's actually 10%. You're oh, losing okay. 10% with all the weird fees. So the Kickstarter may only be five, but the whatever might be four and another one might be one. It's just, it's, it's, it's weird. But you can figure about 10% is what of your campaign is going to... Uh, into <laughs> Kickstarter pocket. And so it's not necessarily a bad deal, but let's say shipping shipping is um let's say that's you know like uh maybe 25% of your shown revenue. You're not making money off of shipping um necessarily. And no. so the, then to pay a percentage on the portion that you're not getting any money from. Mm-hmm. Is they, they take their money off the top number, not off of just your. Because for f- folks that don't know, when you, depending on how you set things up, typically when you do Kickstarter, you've got you know what what you want to make funding wise and what you set your reward levels at. But then you also typically will go in and, and tell them what you want to collect shipping wise if you're doing it through them and not through yeah. like backer kit. Um, and they take their percent off the whole whole kit and caboodle, not just off of what the product costs or, or you're charging for it or whatever. Yeah, and it can be, you know, that can be quite significant. So my feeling is backer kit, the downside with backer kit in my mind is it's another layer that people have to, it may not really be, it feels like it's another layer that people have to do. So you you, you, you go through all the stuff for your Kickstarter, then you have to do additional stuff for backer kit um, as far as a consumer. And I'm, I'm always wondering where that will fail. Um, but the idea is then that's where you can throw in your shipping is on the backer kit. That's where they have to so, the shipping. So I guess I've misunderstood. I always thought that backer kit collected extra information, you know, kind of like your surveys do, that they it offered does. additional products, did yeah. the, the shipping. And then I thought they actually physically shipped it, but they just collect the shipping. Yeah, they don't physically ship it. Oh. Do you do, you do um, uh, pirate ship? No, but after listening to some of your uh, programs, I, I am going to be looking into that. Um, currently, my, my go-to is is uh, I've got a little little hometown post office I go up to, and she lets me uh, say, hey, this is the, the weight of the package. I need X many uh, labels for that amount of postage. And then she lets me secretly go off and go back to my garage and <laughs> put all those labels on the package and bring them back and drop them in. So... So what you can do with what you can do with uh, you know the report that you get from Kickstarter, 
if you're good with Excel, um, you don't have to be real good is you just get rid of the extra fields you don't need on the back report. And then you just import it into pirate ship, the spreadsheet. And, um, and in, in mass, you can, it will create all the labels and then you get a thermal printer and it just starts spinning up labels and it's, it is, and then you just take it to the post office and everything's done. You've already paid for it. That's nice. And they, do they charge monthly or by the project or? So pirate ship, they, I think where they get their money, I don't know, is they are selling postage. I think they're buying postage from the post office at a discounted rate. So you hmm. are paying, you are paying whatever it is you would pay at the post office. There's no, there is no cost, uh, additional cost to using pirate ship. Really? You just got to get that printer and you're good to go, huh? We don't even need to do that. You can print, you can print on a regular. Okay. So we'll get, we'll get into the <laughs> so You can get your regular printer and you can print out on regular paper and you can use uh, tape to tape that to your envelope. You can you just get some of those Avery sticky sheets to go in it or whatever. Yeah. But no, what you do is <laughs> you can order, if you go with the, if you go with the thermal printer, you can go to UPS on site and they will ship you free like 6,000 labels. Hmm. Like a like a 10 pound box of labels for free. They'll draw it right on your doorstep. And then ah. you just hook it up to your printer and you put in your 50 names and you hear it. <laughs> and it just spits them out. It just keeps spitting them out. It keeps spitting oh, the them out. Of the trade. And it just keeps going. You just put them all on there and then you just take it to the post office. It's all I got to do is go scan and it's ready to go. Nice. And if you have problems, they will also, if you also have problems, um, you can, and you haven't used it yet, you can get money refunded. It also does tracking. So from that website, you can track packages and give tracking. It's like crazy. Huh. And then what you can also do, since you have a thermal printer, what I do is I go ahead and I pre packaged. I already prepackaged a lot of books, uh, that extra, and then I just print out labels to tell me what they are, so that when I go to do it later on, so it will it'll go. So, no, it's it's about I think I paid, I think I might have paid about 180. I pay that much for the printer, um, but yeah, it 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 saved me post office. So you had a more uh, amiable. When I would go there, it took them a long time to manually do each one. Yeah, I would never do this at the main, you know, post office. This is like we I live next to this little, you know, I don't know, 500 person town that has one of the last remaining tiny little post offices where it's got the, the wooden boxes behind the person and all that crap. So, uh, yeah, she's she's real nice in there. And I don't think she's supposed to let me take those uh, labels out of the office. But she was nice enough to be like, hey, if you get them back to me by the end of the day, we're good. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think the thing is, the, um, so here's what I will say is um, you put a loose, if you put a loose cover on a book, are you shipping media mail? So, okay. Yeah. I got, I got kind of stung on this on the last one. Um, so, it, according to the post uh, master that I talked to live on the phone, uh, no gaming material at all. 
whether the cover's loose, whether there's a map, whether there's anything. If it's a gaming material, if it's meant to be played as a game, it doesn't count as medium mail. Oh, and I, I went, why. I asked, it, no, no, she, she showed me on the website and she, she's like, look, you know, uh, it, it, you know, it crossword puzzles. Nope. Not medium mail. If you got a magazine with them in them, not medium mail. Okay. Uh, you know, all this stuff. And, and so I don't know here, the, the, the dirty secret is though, 99.9% of the time you can ship anything that looks like a book media mail. Yes. But she, she showed me and, and, and instructed me that no, man, anything that's game, even if it looks like reading material, if it's meant to be played, if it's, you know, uh, a, uh, you that's know, interesting. Cause I, never saw, I believe you. I just know that when I went on the website and looked at definitions, nothing like that was ever stated to the public. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of, of what it was, uh, what site she took me to, but it was, uh, I mean, it didn't like clearly say no games, but uh, the things that were up there that counted didn't include things that were, were games. It included like informational pieces and, um, uh, you know, prose and things like that. But, yeah, and you can send CDs and tapes. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, you can, you know, movies count, but you can't send it. It, it just doesn't make any sense. It's kind of random me. Uh, you know, so but, are you? So are you doing? So are you now doing media mail? Um, I I don't know what I'll do on this next run here. Um, I, I think I will uh, ship things out as uh, dandelion books instead of dandelion games. <laughs> that might be one change up I make on my labels. Uh, but I don't know what I'll do. Well, I think it's the point is, is if you're going to a small post office, you get scot free. In fact, having a loose cover doesn't let you do media mail. But if she doesn't. The gal doesn't care at a small post office. I'd be much more inclined to do stuff like like there's times where it's like, you know what? I would like to have a loose cover, you know, a heavy stock cover and that's detachable, like without having to go through or or throw in some cardboard or some like uh not cardboard, it makes like a, um thick sheets of paper that could be used for or a bookmark. You know things mm -hmm. like that, but there's things you you really can't do because yeah. once they open it, then if they open it and are so disposed, they can. You're gonna be well. It got real crazy because the one that got busted was the the big package I was sending to Goodman Games with all the game. You know they they ordered I think uh, fifty five copies of the last one. So um, I made the mistake of actually shipping it to Joseph Goodman because <laughs> it was his home address that was on the Kickstarter when I was supposed to be sending it to their warehouse, but nobody had told me. So it goes out to his place uh, over there in, uh, I think, Portland or, you know, somewhere around that. Uh, and uh, it gets damaged because I, I didn't have a good box to, to ship it in. So like one of the corners gets dinged in, didn't damage any of the product, but the, uh, so then they open it up to inspect it to make sure that whatever's in there is not damaged. They see that it's a game, they confiscate it. They're going to ship it back. And then like a couple weeks pass and I don't have it back yet. And now I'm freaking out because it's, you know, $700 worth of product or whatever. Uh, so I'm, I call them up. I'm like, what's going on here? And they're like, oh, we, we have it confirmed that it was delivered. And I'm like, well, it wasn't delivered to me. And they go, oh, no, it's delivered in Portland. I'm like, well, no, you guys rejected it. You know, the, so it turns out, I guess he had a, a guy at the post office that knew him. It's like, nah, man, I'm just going to deliver this, even though it's supposed to be sent back to this guy. Oh, so it all got sorted out, but it was crazy for a while there. Yeah, it's it's kind of wild. So anyway, it sounds like you've got quite a, I mean, you got quite a bit going on for this. So I think anybody out there <laughs> who might be even close 
if you're not on the fence, you're even close to the fence. <laughs> it's like, that's going to be the best $20 you're going to spend. I hope, I hope, man. Yeah, so... Yeah. <clears throat> So it sounds like you got quite a bit. In fact, one of the art, the artists you said is the, maybe it's who you're talking about, who uh, has the, um, the Elmore style. What's uh, it's the Jim Elmore, Holloway, but, uh, yeah. Holloway style. Yeah. yeah. James Holloway. Uh, wow. My yeah, good. Brian Thomas. Does. Oh yeah. I, I don't know if, uh, it, uh, if you're looking at the Kickstarter, there's only like maybe two pieces of his art on there, but uh, on my Dandelion games, Facebook page, there's a few more examples. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, it's it's a dangerous thing because I don't want people to be like, oh, he's the guy that rips off Holloway because he's he's got his own flair, too. I mean, because I'm a huge Holloway fan. I really know a lot of his work and I can see the differences. I can see how uh, Brian is taking it in, in a little bit different direction. It has, has some little nuances that are his own. But yeah, man, he really has that feel. And in the game that this is based off of, the other Lost City type game, uh, almost all the art was done by Holloway for that. So it's why I really want to have that style represented in it as much as I can. Yeah, to me, Holloway is, uh, when I look at Star Frontiers, the uh -huh. apex of what Star Frontiers used to be is Holloway. I mean, that's uh, never, to me, it never lived up to its promise of Holloway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the, the thing with him, I mean, people, you know, they either love him or hate him, it seems like, uh, because he, they kind of think of him as kind of like the generic artist because he did so much that his art wasn't, a lot of his art pieces are very simple pieces. They're not, you know, not the uh, most breathtaking ever, but then he does have like, he did the covers to, uh, to Spelljammer, the, the booklets that came in the Spelljammer set. And those are some really beautiful covers. He did almost all the monsters in the original uh, monsters compendiums, the, the first two volumes. And some of those, like the, invisible stalker where it's showing the guy getting strangulated and uh you can only see the the shadow in the background or no it's not the invisible stalker it's the uh, the shadow you see the shadow in the background strangling he's just got some, such a clever way of doing some things uh you know expressing an event or uh you know a situation um, well to me love. what i've seen of his art is it seems to be it feels a little more grounded in reality and uh, like, I'm just looking at just on your Kickstarter, the guy with the, with the lamp holding the lantern, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, if it, it has a, it, it feels a little more grounded, like real person, less necessarily super heroic. And there tends to be a little bit of a humor twist to it. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily really, you know, way out there, but the, you know, whether it's a little bit of expression or the situations or the postures, even like star frontiers, you know, huddling behind a rock while, you know, the firefights going on it's just like there's yeah. something about that it's just like it's it's i don't i can see why to me i can see why people maybe have been less of a fan with some of the fantasy stuff but my goodness for star frontiers i can't think of or probably even i'm not that much with paranoia but like paranoia i mean that's uh -huh. he's just like he defined he defined paranoia. i think yeah. a vibe yeah him and Rosalind, because uh, that was really originally, um, oh, I can't think of the guy's name right now. Uh, my goodness. Um, anyhow, the the, <laughs> the guy that kind of conceived of it was initially planning to make it like a very serious, you know, Orwellsian uh, kind of game where it's really dark and it was, you know, oppression and the, the, the government coming to get you kind of thing, Big Brother. And then uh, Rosalind and... and uh, Holloway's art really 
totally transformed that whole other direction. It's, you know, dark humor and uh, it's just a whole other thing because of that. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's a great, I mean, it's, I definitely would like, now it's like, <laughs> I don't have no idea what the project would be. It's like, okay, now I'd love to have a project with that guy's art. <laughs> I'm only creating this project for different artists. Cause I have, I have, I have in my mind several artists. Like I would like to use these people one day and it's in the back of my mind. So like, I need to come up with a project. <laughs> it kind of reverse, right? Uh, I got a project, find the right artist. They find the artist now, not come up with the right project. Well, somebody was saying, Oh man, what podcast was it? Um, I just listened to a podcast where someone was saying that Freely did that, that Freely kind of goes out and, and hires artists and they make them art. And then they're like, okay, now we're going to build a world around this and a setting around this. Um, you know, and that's how uh, Forbidden Lands and, and some of those other ones came about. Well, I think to some degree. Now, if you, I think to some degree, but if you look at like Coriolis and Alien, I don't want to say it's generic because generic's not right, but they're they tend to be more evocative mood pieces. Even if you look at the some of the the art that came out, I, I saw for uh, Lord of the Rings, very evocative stuff, but not necessarily specific stuff. So it's not kind of mm -hmm. like, oh, here's a monster now, figure out what to do with the monster. It 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 definitely is. It, it sets mood. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yes, I think they they may not direct the artist so much, and they may they may do it. But and that's another thing I've kind of thought about doing <clears throat> is like you know, you were talking about bestiaries. It's like it'd be kind of fun. It's like okay, uh, let's find some weird looking creatures from an artist. Okay, everybody just <laughs> do a write up, write up whatever that crazy looking creature is. We have no idea what it is, and everybody just kind of. Well, that's how, uh, I mean, you look at like the classics, like the Owlbear and the Rust Monster and all that. I mean, that's kind of how they came about, right? Is that Gygax had all those weird uh, Hong Kong rubber toys. And he's like, well, what would this thing do? You know, Land Shark. All right, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And it's, uh, yes, because I think, you know, inspiration a lot of times comes from from limiting what you got. So, yeah. And that's where if you don't limit yourself, you can find yourself going nowhere. <laughs> but if you say, you know what? I got a bag of toys. I got to come up with something. But yeah, that was, uh, that was kind of interesting. Yeah. So, um, so that's quite, a, I mean, <laughs> it's quite a project that you got there. Um, so, so you're, so you also decided to do a month long project. Yeah. Oh, oh, you mean on the kicks? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Campaign. Yeah. You no, can't no. see what I'm looking at. You cannot see. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. That, so the I ran the campaign for a month. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm still figuring that stuff out. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, it allows me to to be able to get out to you know talk you know like being on this program here. Uh, I mean, it's real super super cool that you're having me here. So that you know maybe you know between now and when this drops, uh, you know. Or, after this drops, uh, before the campaign ends, you know, somebody might hear it and take a look at it, decide it's for them. Um, it gives me a chance to go out and do several of those kind of things. Um, gives me a little more lead time on getting the product ready to go. Uh, I mean, it's all the manuscripts done and it's actually kind of in, in this kind of dual layout that I'm going through right now, but there's still art coming in and there's still some maps I need to finish up. So that way, when the project ends, I can get the actual thing to press and back to the people and to the person who's, um, you know, bought into it, that supported it. 
they feel like they're getting it sooner, but really it gives me an extra month of, of finishing it out. Right. You know? So do you, have you used uh, the website kick track? I have not. I, I've had it suggested to me and I, I always get my mailbox full of, of uh, emails from them. I don't know. Spam, so I guess you could call it. <laughs> I would not use this for your current project until it's done. The premise is it will give you analytics on your project as it's going. It'll make projections that will either make you excited or depressed. <laughs> but neither way, either way, it'll be wrong. But my point is, I think if you do this for 30 days, what you should do is look at kick track. And one of the charts that will show you, and you can do this for anybody's Kickstarter. You can put anybody's Kickstarter in there. And it will tell you day to day how much money you made or how many backers you've had. Mm -hmm. And it's like uh, looking at uh, Vasily, um, he had the, uh, the, uh, the dungeon uh, zine, which did really, really, really well. He went for 30 days. Uh, he got like seven times, six times more than he thought he was going to get. And, but, you know, looking, he did have that, you know, we have that bathtub curve. But he was getting money every day. So there's like $300, $500, $300, $200, $500, So it's like, you know what? Even though you're in that, that you're not like on this like rocket, you know, you're in this plateau, but at least you, you can evaluate afterwards, you know, whether it was worth going out because, you know, it may actually, you know, may, it may gain you a little bit of money. Uh, well, that, that would be my question is like, under what circumstances would you want to shorten it? I mean, even let's say you have a week where you make nothing, you know, there's no additional backers. Is it advantageous to cut that week out? I think there's different thoughts on that. Uh, I think the idea is um, the sensation of, uh, of nausea that comes with being on a Kickstarter, you're, you're, you're limiting <laughs> two weeks of 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 uh feeling like you want to throw up in a garbage can so that's you don't have to so there's a value to that uh, I, I think the idea too is and i would i think i think if you're wanting to do um i think if you want to do multiple kickstarters um i think it, i think there's a lot of reasons for doing it. i think one is um for smaller projects it probably makes more sense so like if yeah. you're doing, let's say you say, you know, I'm just going to throw out a, you know, a, yeah, quick zine. It's just going to be a fun, quirky thing. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people, but I just want to get this thing out there. Just, you know, sure, do that. And I think also if you're wanting to do a lot of projects, um, and especially maybe less, let's say they're less um, expansive than yours, but let's say you want to put out like six, uh, <laughs> six zines a, a, a year or five zines or four zines, you may say, you know what? I've already pretty much a lot of times have my audience. I, I can't leave these things hanging out. I just want to just get it over with and, and move on with life and well, it, keep producing. And I guess that is the thing. Cause you know, especially when you're first starting out, Kickstarter limits you to having one Kickstarter at a time. So you can't get onto that next project until this one's, you know, totally over and, and, and has been delivered. So that would help on that. And then I guess also uh, getting your money too. you know, like right now I've got all this money out for art 
and until the Kickstarter's over and they send me the money, that's all on me. So I, I can see yeah, cutting out the dry spots to to help with that too. Yeah, and I also don't know how many change of hearts you'll have too. <laughs> you, know, yeah. like, you, know, you put the money on the table you better take it now before they change your mind <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of a weird thing I, you know that first time that i was doing the kickstarter seeing it go up and being like all right it's going up it's going up it's going up and then one day waking up it's like what how'd it go down <laughs> what's going on you know it could go down <laughs> yeah and i so like phil reed will he a lot of times will he'll just try different things so i think you know, if, if you've got a lot of things going on in life and you're wanting to just dibble dabble here, you know, you, you spent weeks and months um, and it's a, you know, for you, it's a, a pretty major project, you know, because um, of all the investment. Yeah. You're going to want to put the time in and have a longer Kickstarter, but, but, you know, if it took you a month to crank, crank something out, you're like, yeah, hey, I'll just put it out for a week or two and just see what it does. And then just move on to the next fun thing. Uh but you're what you're trying to do is a little bit different with with this project, and I think I don't say you're going to be building a line, but you're kind of, you, you know, you're wanting to do something a little more significant with this project than just a, you know, a little quickie thing. Throw it out there, see what happens. And I think the thing too, it's just like, and that might be kind of a fun thing to do. You know, maybe next year is like okay, maybe we all get together and and do a a you know, uh, creation to Kickstarter in a, in a month and then everybody uh, has like a one-week Kickstarter at the same time or something goofy like that. I mean, yeah. you know, I don't know. It's just, I'm just saying is there may be, you know, that it may, you know, doing something quick and getting it out there and just doing a quick Kickstarter might just be kind of a fun exercise to do with a group of people. Yeah, shake up your creativity a little bit. Yeah, put it under <laughs> confines and time. No, that sounds great. Right. So I don't know. I don't know why that idea just came to my head, but uh, it might be something. But I think there is value. But I, I, I've heard Kickstarter two weeks is a sweet spot. But I've also heard longer. I don't think thirty days ever generally hurts anybody. Yeah. But I just think it's just it's just what your emotion, what the emotional toll is on you. Is it worth it? Yeah, like I was saying on this one, I just I, I got a, a little more hanging over my head as far as I mean, I got like 40 percent of the art I'm still waiting on. Um, and it's not the artist's fault at all. I kind of kind of got things set up to launch and then I ordered a second round of art to fill in what I needed uh, once I had kind of a, a mock layout going and all that. So um, so this, you know, I, I just feel like people don't count the Kickstarter as wait time. You know, they don't feel like, oh, I'm still waiting for that product while the Kickstarter is going. Once it's over though, you know, your feet are on the fire. They're like, where's my thing? You know, I ordered yeah. this thing. So it helps me to make it feel like it came faster if I give myself, you know, a little time while the Kickstarter is going on to, to finish putting things together. Um, yeah. And I think too, it's like you, you've ordered stuff ahead of time. This is what's hard you know, is there's a certain amount investing up front. I think I'm going to start working. I think some of my future projects, um, to my future projects, I think I'm going like, I'm thinking about uh, one thought is doing the a bestiary and we kind of discussed that, but as far as just releasing it, um, as far as a normal zine format, uh, just using stock art for the first one, I, I've got, I got quotes. I thought, well, maybe if I do 
you know, the, the two inch by three inch, I should get really good rates. No, and they don't I go saw, much cheaper than quarter page. It seems like for our, but then first person gave me a coin like that seems high. I went to another person who's doing work for me. Who's really good, very reasonable. And his came up even higher. And he said, quarter of a page. And I thought, of course, they're not drawing a little two by three square. They are taking a half page, drawing the half page. And then we're just it down. It down. it's like, <laughs> then it hit me when I saw his quote, it's like, of course. And so uh, like with the bestiary, it's like, you know, that's, you do a picture per, per item. And your first one's like say 14 creatures, you know, um, you know, if it's $50 a piece, there's $700 just in. <laughs> yeah. That's the I, other I thing, man. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, for people listening to this that are thinking about going into this kind of thing, uh, art is so expensive and it's worth every penny. If you're an artist out there, right. man, I wish I could pay you three times what I pay you because I know what kind of skill you got and what kind of effort you're putting in, but I just can't. <laughs> and it's so expensive. Uh, it's just unbelievably expensive. <laughs> yeah. For a 30 page zine for this one person who quoted it, um, who's, who's got a, a quirky art style that I really like. Um, they, they quoted in a way that I needed, I think almost $2,000 Wow. at the price point i want to sell it at i want to sell it at eight i think i want to do an eight dollar zine i think i just want to do eight dollars um but i need about two thousand dollars if i were to do that to be able to break even with me doing all the writing and everything else so i mean my choice yeah. then is to it pays is to increase the 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 pay more or the cost more is one option um, the other option is to, I think what I'm going to do, so my goal is to do all the zines and then put them together into a perfect bound book. But what I use is the zines to fund the project. So I think what I'm going to do is the very first one, just use strictly stock art. If it funds really well, then use those funds to pay for the art for the second one. Yeah, build it as it goes, yeah. Smart. But... If that never happens, <laughs> I'll just release a paperback book at the end uh, with a stock art. <laughs> Coloring book, huh? Well, yeah, no, I mean, it will be uh, actually be Dean Spencer's stock art. So it will be, it, it, it's monster manual style, but uh, oh, so, but you know, but let I me thought, ask you well, this. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, go, no, ahead, go finish ahead. that thought. I'm going a whole nother direction. Finish that thought. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know that the thought, I think the thought might have oh, I interrupted. <laughs> I was just going to ask, because um, one of the things I'm curious about is, uh, is that concept of releasing, you know, small volumes and then the omnibus with everything in it. I, I've seen a lot of people out there doing that right now. And I just, I, I wonder how much, um, how many of the people that bought all the small versions go on to buy the hardbound version or the collected version does it transfer very well or not? I just don't know. I've Here's what I'm planning it. on doing. I'll, I'll, I think there's two things. And I've also thought about your project. Because <laughs> <laughs> Chris, a little late for this newest one, but I'll go through both of these. So what I'm planning on at this moment is to do, uh, my plan is to do a write-up of the old school essentials bestiary. But the write-up is going to be a different style of write-up. It's going to be more ideas for the gm rather than just just generic stats yeah. yeah so the the idea is h1 would be evocative right evocative, like give you really solid mm -hmm. ideas what to do with a bandit what to do with a uh, a berserker you know give some more background some thoughts so like oh 
these are just some things to do with them, or here's a background that would make it more interesting, at least narratively, than just, oh, it's just a bandit or it's just a berserker. So my thought was, you know, if I could charge as low as I can um, for the zine and it's do A through Z or A through Z, depending from <laughs> Canada or from the US, uh, then once that's done, I think what I'm going to do is offer uh, do a Kickstarter. I'm going to do the Kickstarter for the for the uh, uh, for the uh, Perfect Bound is to um, offer those people at like say a, a dollar tier to sign up with the Kickstarter that I would mm-hmm. uh, they would get a a um, uh, there would be an add on that they could buy the the uh, the Perfect Bound at cost. So whatever that be, it may have to do it through back, but it's like, okay, so I may, you know, improve paper costs, whatever, whatever it's at the end, it's like, okay, it's going to be $6 or it's going to be $7 and they can pay that. And that would be a reward for the people backing the, uh, the all the zines all the way through. Early adopters, yeah. And then also partway through, somebody says, hey, I, I'm starting midway offer to you know, still have stock on hand to for people wanting to buy in on earlier issues as well but it's still good enough you could you could grab anyone but i realize you know people are there for the ride they should be rewarded and the idea is to use a kickstarter to actually fund a project at the end and maybe if maybe at that point the total amount that i have will fund art at that point you know i don't know and just do a formal it, kickstarter it's almost surreal when you think about it we're talking about using kickstarter <laughs> to, to selling a product on Kickstarter so that you can sell a, a, another product. I mean, that's, that's like Kickstarter was supposed to be that to begin with, right? You're supposed to be able to start with the, the collected works, but it just doesn't work that way anymore, does it? No, but um, but Vasily did his dungeon and he's doing a mega dungeon one zine at a time. So like level by level kind of idea? Yeah. And I thought, oh, that, genius. Yeah. The man's genius. <laughs> <laughs> genius well he's genius in more ways than one because i actually looked at the font choices that he did he used a very uh it was called a display font not very readable but he used it in his uh for headings and i just started looking at that wondering at that choice and it works very well he is definitely taking something that really isn't always the best one for readability but the way he used it, it works really, really, really well. Um, so whatever he does, he thinks through. Um, <laughs> I just could be more like Vasily. <laughs> yeah, I'm a font junkie, man. I gotta when I'm laying things out, I always gotta like slap my own hand and be like, no, no, three fonts is enough. You don't need ten in this. You don't need. Yeah, I love fonts. So that's cool. The other thing I was thinking about too is with what you're doing, even the previous one is, is take this, let's say your hundred page, uh, your uh, Magnus Opus, your hundred page Magnus Opus. <laughs> Could it be chunked down into 10 or a like one night's worth of session or whatever you got? 40 page zines, adventures. And that each one, you'd find like the narrative uh, the beats, you know, separate yeah. those things out. And then, then at the end of each one, 
have a, a basically like kind of like what you did. You could have a canned conclusion and then, or you could go to the next adventure. So people could be satisfied either way. And the same thing with each adventure, it could, it could lead from the previous one, or you could say, you know, you know, the story so far. Do you, uh, do you have Tom Wilson's back to basics? No. So he did that. Um, and, and he's, I mean, he's a, a guru uh, for this whole Kickstarter thing. Um, he's that guy that like does a whole bunch of like really cheap, you know, a couple oh, of yeah. Kickstarters. Um, oh. So this back to basics, I didn't get into it. I actually got in on it on the, uh, the omnibus level where he, he published the hardbound book. And that was another treasure. I mean, that was for the price. He, it was 20 bucks for, I don't know how many pages it is, but it's thick. Um, and it's got all sorts of stuff in it. Um, but at any rate, originally when he was publishing those as separate magazines, each one had an adventure that got you to the end of, of that portion and then was continued in the next zine, kind of like what you're talking. Uh, and so that was really cool to see it play out through 10 volumes to the final scenario. Um, and then on top of that, he's got just standalone adventures in those. It's, that's, uh, if you, anyone out there that plays, you know, fantasy gaming especially bx uh man i highly recommend go get back to basics uh it's it's just jam-packed full of cool stuff um multiple adventures in each one really good maps by uh, monkey blood i don't know if you've seen uh, what is that glenn seals mapping oh, yeah. but he's good stuff well not to go down the rabbit hole but this is some other thoughts i had apparently uh <laughs> i think i thought too was I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of um, uh, this will come in a later podcast of uh, <laughs> people reading uh, people buying adventures to use versus people buying adventures to read. But I thought if you divided it up, you could almost do subscription. There may be some people who be willing to subscribe to it and you could do that through Patreon, I believe. So there may be a value too of, you know, maybe taking something large like that mm -hmm. um, and then chunking up and then and then distributing it accordingly. I don't know. Yeah, I so, talked to Jim Wampler about that a little bit just briefly um, because that, that's kind of my thing. I would love to have a subscription to something like Scientific Barbarian where it just comes in the middle. I don't got to worry about it. I paid for it, you know, every couple of months or whatever. Boom, hey, another issue. Great, you know reliving the the dragon and polyhedron days you know uh but uh he said that he's he looked into it there's just no viable way to do it that actually works as far as you know production schedule and and uh you know like he can't really do it on kickstarter because it's it can't be fulfilled since it's you know until the end of the year or whatever i think um, patreon, patreon might be yeah. so what i did is i talked to someone from um a a fairly large independent publisher they're looking at doing stuff on patreon where they you it will charge when you go to so you they would pay like say for instance the subscription is twenty dollars so then whenever you go to ship it you just charge them the twenty dollars and it would ship out so they wouldn't be charged a monthly it would be charged when you're shipping it out when you're ready yeah and they would subscribe to that level so you say you know what, i'm gonna I, I haven't looked into it myself but i think you can set it up that way the problem is if you don't have a large enough fan base, you're probably not going to get a large enough people to be able to do that without kickstarting it. But also in hindsight, 
whoever's doing that's not going to be on your Kickstarter either. So yeah, there's not I'm enough, not, sure. not enough crossover between the two platforms, maybe to, to get but it if up. You're a, a publishing company is well known. You can't, but anyway, I still think that's something to explore. And that may be something I'll explore with the, the best dairy. Well, I know I'm a customer on that kind of thing. I really would love to have something like that. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah. And it's, it wouldn't be too, it wouldn't be very difficult to do. And it bypasses a lot of other things uh, with dealing with Kickstarter, but you're still having to deal with Kickstarter because you're still going to get your volume. You're, you're going to need at least, you're going to at least a hundred books probably to before you publish anything. Um, but anyway, that's, that's a thought. Um, I don't know. I don't know, but something to look at but anyway but yeah exactly so somebody says i like a thing why not just get a subscription and they just keep getting it and everybody's pleasantly surprised when they get it in the mail <laughs> for sure we yeah, all have the, that uh that, that little kid in us that you know oh i got mail today and it's not a bill all right oh exactly <laughs> so yeah and i think uh so you know, you've been doing the these the mutant crawl classics. So is this the muse that's uh, that's that you that's that's uh, uh, that you're following? Is it is it uh, you plan to keep going this direction, or are you just? Well, yeah. I mean, I've got like I got three more of them in, in some stage of development. But uh, but like I mean, you and I talk. My my one of my big summer projects is I want to get a bestiary for MCC developed i've got some ideas of how to do that kind of like what you're saying where you could do it in installments um i kind of want to go a different direction than the zine thing but um so i'm, I'm kind of working on that but my, my real love is is developing game systems and i've got like several of those that i had already published under a different company back in the early 2000s that i want to bring back and, and now that i've had more experience as a oh, designer yeah. kind of tweak them and then i've got the uh my big love right now is is I got a, a game system called the Dare Luck Club, which is kind of like a Goonies themed game. Uh, so I, I absolutely love writing for it. It's so zany and fun, but it's you know you know it's really hard to get people to buy into a uh, a game system, um, especially well, if you're not one of the major book companies. You got there for that Dare Luck, I did not realize it so yeah. much. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know around 200, 210 pages with the index, but uh, it was Maybe. you're talking about going color. I wanted to go color. You know, because it's it's kids and stuff, so I wanted to have it colorful and stuff. But uh, but yeah, that really wasn't a good decision as far as price point goes. Because you know, even even the uh, softbound version here, I think, is forty dollars uh, for full full color and you know, two hundred some pages. Do you think uh, about about paring it down, chunking it up? Uh, I thought about it. Um, it really, it's it's got a really big portion of it is uh, like creatures and information on like a, a you know fake midwestern town and i thought really you know i could pull that stuff out and have that just be like little separate booklets and have you know just the rules together you know i don't know they probably with all the the items and stuff like that in it the rules would probably only be maybe 110 pages so if you yeah. could get that that's 110 page you're talking about 110 pages of uh eight and a half by eleven yeah but it's got i mean it's got pretty big margins and it's got a lot of white space i mean it's you know it's not I look at doing it maybe as like a six by nine or five and a half by eight and a half and seeing if you can 
get it down even even smaller. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you know, I I have this I don't know, thing stuck in my mind that oh eight eight and a half by eleven that's a that's an RPG sized book, uh, and I need to get with the program. I mean, so many of the the newer publishers are going with the smaller formats, and, and they are nice formats to have. They take up less shelf space. Uh, yeah, because you think right, if it's like it. maybe it's like twenty five dollars for the main one, but then you could have like the quote unquote supplements. They only be like maybe ten dollars a piece, you know, and they're only like maybe twenty eight page zines, and they're mm-hmm. black and white, and, and everybody's happy. And you could you could have a <laughs> lot of different ones out there. Yeah. And you could do a subscription service, <laughs> <laughs> and it may help you too when you want to do something new. You're like, you know what? I got some derelict club stuff I want to do. I can just throw out a, a an eight page uh, PDF or whatever, or maybe a you know a twenty eight page zine, and just you know, and, and it's it, you could just do it in little pieces, mm-hmm. you know, or just put them out on a newsletter and then collect once you get enough of them, then collect it into a zine. I think that maybe by I think for me doing things smaller makes it easier to wrap one's head around and being able to to deal with mm-hmm. but well, i think you know that's that's the theme i think of our talk today is that format is king that you know, how you parse something out and how you go to print can really change you know what you can offer and at what price and yeah and i think the thing is is like it, it expectations and what works i mean the nice thing about zines is they they fit in the hand real nicely. Uh, they are at a low enough price point for printing; they're not too bad, but they are definitely limiting in, in size and amount of information. And they're not the end-all, be-all. But I think the, but I think, in general, I think with people who are, I'll call them, more willing to to delve into independent games, it's definitely much more. I think that's a much more attra- it's a, it can be a more attractive format. Sure, yeah. No, but, it's you know some of the stuff I've picked up recently that's in that format, like the you know old school essentials and, and Tom's books, really have persuaded me that you know you don't have to. You know, I always thought you'd be giving up a lot to go down to that size, but it's all in how you lay it out, and it can it can hold its own for sure. But I think like with what you're doing, the Mutant Crawl Classics and that style, that format, I think it fits, it fits exactly that line. I mean, that's what they put out. Like if I'm doing old school uh, Essentials uh, Bestiary, I'm going to make it so that when that trade paperback or that uh, paperback's trimmed, it's going to be the same size as that of the hardback books. Mm -hmm. It's going to be, it's going to look just like that book. I'm not going to do it. But if I were to be putting out something for, for fifth edition D&D, I wouldn't be doing a zine. I would, I would use a traditional format for that. And just kind of keep with, keep with the feel and look of the line that you're writing for kind of thing. Yeah. I don't, I'm not saying you couldn't do a zine for fifth edition, but I'm just saying it's like, but I think sometimes people have certain expectations with certain you know, product lines. And it's kind of like with D&D 5th edition, you better kind of have a certain style of trade dress. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of same with Mutant Crawl Classics or Dungeon Crawl Classics is even beyond just the format. 
you know, you, you're not going to want to run a straight, I won't say straight adventure, but you're not going to run a straight adventure probably with, with either one of those because it's designed to, to throw, to, to crank up the dials. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're not just going to port over, keep on the borderlands. What fun is that? You know? Yeah. And so you're going to want to be able to, you know, you want, you want dramatic things to happen in very unexpected ways, but likewise, those things wouldn't necessarily fly for a, a fifth edition adventure. For yeah, people. I think that's, you know, if you're going to write for another system, at least my take on it has been is you got to, you got to sit down and analyze, you know, what is it that's an expectation in the system. So like for Mutant Pro Classics, like you're saying, you got to dial everything up one more notch than what you might be comfortable with. And you, you got to have the random charts. That's a big one in there. Lots of cool random charts of things that can happen. Yeah. Um, because people want to be surprised. The GM wants to be surprised. The players want to be surprised. They want to roll. And if they fail and everybody winds up in flames, everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah. They're laughing all the way uh, to the trash can with their character sheet. You know? But uh, it, 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 on the new project, I did uh, 10 spells. If you've looked at DCC uh, spells before, I have the formatted. book and PDF, but I, I, uh, I, and I played, I played Dungeon Crawl Classics, so I'm familiar with it when I played at the con. Okay, so like, instead of just being able to write up a spell and have it do a thing, uh, the spells all have their own random tables of, you know, if you cast it at a really, you know, successful rate, it does like this whole crazy, you know, your, your fireball goes from being the size of a room to being you know, the size of a, a nuclear bomb kind of thing. Uh, or it could be the reverse, too. Uh, <laughs> you, you light a match kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, and it, so I've never written, you know, I've played DCC, and, you know, you think you play something, you know it, but when you go to write for it, it's a whole other thing. Uh, that, you know, to, to come up with a spell and to come up with multiple levels of what it does and, and make them all, you know, different from each other, but not, you know, hit that uh, power spiral too quickly where, you know, by the end it's, it's doing something oh, that's yeah. just a total game wrecker. Um, that's tough. Well, <laughs> and now I've got too, the challenge to it. It's not like roll a D, you don't just roll a D20 and the chart goes from 1 to 20. That'd be simple. Because the, the idea is, I think, you add your levels to it, but you also burn your stats to add to it. Mm -hmm. There's yeah, a lot of things that end up affecting the, yeah. You get so, stats in there, your level. So you want to be strategic in burning stats but doesn't guarantee anything so the idea isn't just like okay a 20 is a a, a critical success and a one's a critical fail well i mean something crazy might be like i can't remember like 40 or whatever or yeah usually 35. once you're past 30 yeah so you got to burn some stats to get into that level but then once you're in that range you're things can get more uncontrollable at that range too mm -hmm. Yeah, so like a, a monster summoning spell at 30 summons like a whole herd of the monsters, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it gets it, – but, but it's hard to do because you uh, – you, uh, you, you got to think of all the ways something can spiral up. I mean, you've got like duration that can change. You've got range that can change, uh, maybe damage or, you know, numbers of things. or uh, And it just – it's uh, it, it's it, it's also hard to make sure that as you're stacking – uh, it's stacking vertically and not horizontally. In other words, like, you know, if you have a spell where you're going to, uh, 
I don't know, like one of, one of my spells in my book is, is creating an elemental creature. So for the next level up of success, it's like, well, do I have it have more than one creature or do I have it have a more powerful creature? Now, if I go more powerful and I want to later have more than one, now I have two more powerful creatures, which you know, might have more of an exponential advantage right. to it, you know. But if I go the other way, you know, it's just, it's, it's a lot harder to do them than I thought it was going to be. And then the other thing is, um, and I love DCC, but I think the spell charts look horrible. I mean, they're just these real, like, uh, graphs, you know, they're not graphs, but tables. Uh, with, oh, yeah. You know, black bars and everything. So I'm really looking, playing around in layout to, you know, how can I make it so it's usable, but visually appealing to do all these different levels and uh, die results and all this. Yeah, and right. And I think people will appreciate that because they don't necessarily... <laughs> I think the thing is some of those books, there's some layout choices I never really cared for, but I think improving that's always <laughs> it's, it's a good thing. But it's like, again, too, it's like, um, you know, but even going back to like, you know, they all probably follow a similar style format. You don't want to necessarily even violate, you know, going to a very, let's say, once I'll be more verbose, another big, very terse. It's like, you kind of got to be careful about that because. Mm -hmm. people are locked into something they're locked into something and they don't want generally a lot this of this doesn't feel right yeah. Mm -hmm. so yeah i in fact the dungeon crawl classics community crawl classics I, I i thought about like taking fane and maybe you know doing something on those lines later on but i would definitely would pay somebody <laughs> to do to do the uh <laughs> to give it the mutant crawl classics thing because or dungeon crawl classics because i know i don't have I mean, it's, it takes a lot of chops to do that well. It, it's very apparent when you play it. It's like, no, that's not, that's not me just sitting down and wing. Like with old school essentials, you can just wing it, right? Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, spells are spells. The bestiary, okay, no big deal. It's converting over. But I think with Dungeon Crawl Classics, you, you're really wanting a, a spin. But, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's hard. It's hard. But uh, I know there's a lot of opportunities. And you also talking about going back to your older stuff. I found there's some older stuff I want to republish. But then when I go back and look at it, I think, oh, I just need to reformat and polish it a bit. I realize my writing's changed. <laughs> uh, it's like, no, I have to re-edit all this. Yeah, <laughs> I have to rewrite uh, some of this. <laughs> it, it's, yeah, you know, you're, you're a different person now than you were 10 seconds ago, let alone, you know, five years ago or whatever i mean yeah can't just polish it up i i get that yeah well i think i've gotten i hope i've gotten better but i think part of it is i've been doing more of it so from the start of, of writing to where i'm at now um not that we're at now any any level to be uh commended but uh but there's still at least an incremental improvement and so uh, it's <laughs> Well, and from what we just talked about at the beginning of the show, uh, you and I, we both ended up in the same situation with this. We, we go back to polish something and we're just going to kind of go off into these other directions. It'll be a whole nother thing by the time you're done with it. It won't, uh, won't even be just the update of the old thing. Yeah. And what I did is like, you know, the latest, one of the things I did early on was um, basically use the reaction tables from the BX to be able to use really with any game and it kind of, didn't really expand out but i kind of 
really looked at it a different way that um, that a person could change other people's attitudes. Um, but then looking at it again, it's like there's probably some other things I need to add too. So I don't know. It's pay what you it was pay. It well, still is pay what you want. So I was thinking about actually putting that. Maybe that was another one I was thinking about just doing for like a two week Kickstarter or a one week Kickstarter. Just do do a uh, a short zine, charge a little bit of money, and just look at enough money just to just get a small print run, and not really worry about anything else because it's really not a graphics heavy type thing. But we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I know we're we're uh, <laughs> time continuum, as you say. <laughs> yeah, I think we're hitting that. Probably like a few things I talked about we before uh, before we actually hang up, hang up. So, but anyway, uh, thanks, Lou, for joining me. I appreciate it. Hey, Tom, this is fun. Man, that Kickstarter, uh, man. Anybody out there, just go, just go throw your twenty dollars in. Uh, <laughs> appreciate it. You need it. Yeah, not you need it you out there need it yeah it's uh it's um it's a lot of energy a lot of output for twenty dollars best value you're gonna get out there so anyway you take care lou and uh we'll have to have you on again this year all right thank you so much jeff